I'm going to do this at the outset. Um, otherwise, I'll forget it. But I'm going to reference a book several times. Um, it's called Spiritual... Sorry, I got my, my note card here. Uh, it's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. If I could commend one book to you, like one book and one book alone, that I would ask that you read, this is that book. So much so that even whenever our seniors graduate from Union, this is the book that we buy them. And I put a little note in there that I hope that one day they will actually read it. But if you're going to hear me reference it, this is such a helpful book. It clarifies and it gives you direction. Um, Andy referenced it last week. Whenever you become a new member, then we like to give you this book. I believe in our last round of membership interviews, we had, we had run out and we've, we've had them on order. And so if we didn't get it to you, then, then let me know and we're going to. But we are to practice spiritual discipline. And so let me just kind of walk you through real quick because this will save time and, and clarity in the sermon itself. But it walks through the spiritual disciplines for the purpose of godliness. In other words, why do we do these things? Um, but Bible intake, there's two chapters on it. And, and they're not, this is not a hard to read book. But how do we read the Bible? Why do we read the Bible? And it, it's here. And it kind of walks you through it in a very life applicable, everyday language that an Arkansan can understand. Um, how do we pray? Why do we pray? How do we pray? Why do we worship? How do we worship? Why do we evangelize? How do we evangelize? Why do we serve? How do we serve? Stewardship, fasting, even silence and solitude as a spiritual discipline. Why do we do this? And whenever I say why, um, having read the book, uh, and if you look through here, it doesn't say why and how. It just says serving, or I'm going to use um, silence and solitude. It just says silence and solitude for the purpose of godliness. Donald Whitney is really good about telling you why we do it theologically and scripturally. And then he gets into the very practical aspect of, okay, here's how we do it. And so it's a book I'm going to commend to you. This book has a chapter on fasting. And you're going to hear me reference Donald Whitney and, and the chapter, and it comes from this book. If I could commend one book to you, I would commend, of course, Beyond the Bible. I would commend this book to be on your shelf. And I, I, I just believe it's so incredibly <coughs> insightful. And it's one that I visit again and again. And having uh, you know walked in the faith for, for decades, then you pick up a book like this and, and you're reading and you're like, why didn't anybody just do it that way for me? Like, why didn't anybody tell me that that's why you journal and how you journal or why you fast and how you fast or why you do need silence and solitude and how you do it the right way? Why didn't anybody tell me? And this book is, this book is one of those that I think will be a huge blessing in your life. You don't have to read it cover to cover. You maybe just want to look at journaling. Why do I journal and how do I journal? And it, it just walks you through some, some good life application. Okay, so this is that book that I'm referencing. Okay, with that said, we are all in Matthew chapter 6. And now we're going to jump into the passage. And oh my goodness, this is one of those passages that, uh, you know, you, you feel ill-equipped to preach. Because I want you to know that I have not arrived on this one. I am no expert on this one. And, uh, and I'm actually having to switch my notes here because... Just like technology will, um, it is not working for me. And uh, so y'all give, give me a little bit of grace here. I'm sorry. 
There it goes. We've updated. Perfect time to update. We won't be deterred. Here we go. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Please hear me from the beginning. What I was saying, I am no expert. I am a horrible faster. Um, if you want advice, I can give it to you. If you want to see it in action, don't watch me. I needed this passage. I'm telling you that from the outset. I needed this. I needed to push into the passage. I needed to study the topic. But it's in Scripture. And we need this. So I want you to hear my heart from the beginning. I am not someone who does this well. But by God's grace, I want to do it better after today. It says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So that's our passage. That's the one we're going to talk about. You know, if we were doing topical sermons and this is the one we kind of get to and we're like, ah, you know, let's just kind of get on to something more relevant. You know what's the most absolutely relevant thing for us? There's always the word. We always need it. We always need to wrestle with it. We always need to have it wrestle within our souls and take root and bear much fruit. So I'm going to pray one more time. Okay, because you've heard my heart as my own journey in this. So y'all just join with me. Lord, we have your word open before us. Lord, I acknowledge that I am not one who is worthy to preach this. I confess that I need you to speak to us through your word in a way deeper than I can. Lord, help us to trust you with whatever it is that you reveal to us. But Lord, may this not be simply a scholarly activity, but something through which your spirit works within us. Lead us to understanding and repentance and help us to walk in wisdom. Amen. Okay, so first things first. I want to start with the acknowledgement of what I've already said. That this is Fasting is kind of a foreign concept to modern Christianity. No one really preaches on this that I know of. Um, or that I've sat under, or if they have, I've forgotten it. But it's not something that, that we really talk about in Christian circles anymore. It's kind of neglected. And, and I think that that is a disadvantage for us. So I want to approach today with that in mind. So I want to take a pretty straightforward approach of what does the passage say, which honestly won't take long. Like, it's pretty clear what it says. But then I also want us to pause and consider what is fasting, why do we fast, and then how do we fast? That way we can leave from here with a working knowledge of what this passage is really getting to. Because if we don't understand the what it is and the why we do it and the how we do it, then we also miss the application that he's calling us to. Because Jesus, we're going to see this from the very beginning, he doesn't say when. I'm sorry, he doesn't say if. He says when. Like this is an expectation for believers. And yet you're looking at someone who's in there going... I haven't lived as a when, I've lived as an if. Okay, so that's kind of the, the point of the passage. So my heart in, in knowing that it's, it's like not really talked about, and most believers even today are sitting there going, I don't know what all to say about it except you aren't supposed to eat and drink, right? So this is kind of like a fasting 101 sermon. 
The application when we leave here is not to then skip your lunch, but keep your lunch dates and go ahead and go eat, but understand what this actually means. So that mindset has kind of shaped the sermon. And so I hope that if you're sitting here today and as one of three people, one, you do not know what to know or think about fasting when you see it in the Bible. I hope this helps you. Number two, if you're someone who has rarely or never fasted, then I hope this helps also. Or number three, you have fasted many times and you are the expert faster. I pray too that today's sermon is edifying and equipping and, and calls us back to why we do it. All right, everybody good? Okay, so let's start with what the passage means and then we'll move through um, all the way to what fasting is, why we do it, how we do it. All right, so we're just going to do it the way we do. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. It says, and when you fast. The operative word there that should be underlined is when. Jesus' expectation is that his disciples are fasting. This is something that they are doing. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Like, why would he have that expectation? But you and I need to wrestle with it this way. That just as he expected them to give to the needy, a few passages back, just as he expected them to pray, one passage back, his speech reflects that he expects that they will fast. We tend to approach it this way. We do not typically question if we're to serve the needy. We do not typically question if we are to pray. But we do typically question if we are to fast. When in Scripture, he addresses that we give to the needy, we pray, we fast. This we have made one of the most optional, probably, spiritual disciplines in our lives. And it's to the neglect of our souls. Our Savior could address any number of things. And he addresses a lot. And he clarifies how they are to fast. So this should be something present in our lives. Again, remember, the guy speaking to you is not one who is speaking from like a high throne on this topic. I'm speaking it to myself as well. I needed this passage. Should Ricky go serve the needy? Absolutely. That's what we do. Should Ricky be praying every day? Constant prayer. Should he be fasting? Mm, you know, like fasting like from burgers or like <laughs> fasting from technology. Like that fasting, it makes us uncomfortable. I think for a couple of reasons that I'll hit again at the end. But I think one of them is that's scary. But it's also kind of weird. We don't want to. We don't want to be that extreme fanatic, that that weird kid, right? It's what we've been called to do. So I want to move through that. Jesus did not say, "And if you fast," he said, "When you fast," and we want to wrestle with that. He says, "Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites." So this is the intent of the whole passage. Like the thrust of the whole passage is that we fast the right way. Okay, so he is saying that whenever you fast, the intent is what matters here. So don't like disfigure face. We're going to touch on that here in just a second. But he's clarifying here at the beginning. This is how you don't fast. And then later he's going to say this is how you do fast. So do not be like the hypocrites. It goes on and says, for they disfigured their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. This is where we're going to pause longer. Okay. It says they disfigure. The hypocrites disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. A biblical understanding of the word hypocrite is super helpful here. The word literally referred to one who puts on a mask and feigns himself to be what he is not. 
That's what the word hypocrite means biblically. One who puts on a mask and presents himself to be something that he actually is not. And that was his problem with the Pharisees. In fact, if you were to just Google the term today, it's Googleable. Okay? Then the definition is a person who pretends to have virtues and moral or religious beliefs, principles, etc. That he or she does not actually possess, especially a person whose actions belie stated beliefs. This is what Jesus says of the Pharisees and Sadducees, is that they wear a mask. And as they wear a mask, then they become hypocrites. And they wear this mask so that they can present to others what they themselves do not possess within. That's the problem with their fasting. It was all for the mask to be seen, though their heart was totally missing it. Their motive, we're going to see, is to be seen by others. They want their religiosity to be known. They do not desire to know the grace of God even more. They desire to hear the praise of men even more. And so that's where we kind of get a heart check. And I'm going to pause here. If we bring the thrust of this of the last few passages home, then I'm just going to like ask and beyond fasting, like let's just really bring it home. Is all that you do in your Christian walk, in my Christian walk, so that others can see your works and praise you? Of course we say, of course not. Not me. Or so that God alone sees your work and praises you. We of course know that the preferred answer, the church answer is that all that we do is so that, so that God alone will praise us. And we would say that we don't care about what others have said. But if all that you have toiled to do is to show others that you are a Christian, instead of resting in the fact that you are a Christian and letting that fruit bear out, then we are tempted to be a Pharisee more than just a Christian. There is a difference. And I'm going to tell you, there is an incredibly dangerous temptation in this spot right now where I stand. To, to present myself in a certain way, to toil in a certain way, to strive in a certain way, to hear the praises of men and the acknowledges that everything is going well and good, there is an incredibly dangerous temptation for my soul to find pride in that and not resting humbly in the fact that God could have used absolutely anyone else to praise and worship His name. It affects every aspect of our life. He's just really highlighting when we serve the needy, when we pray, and when we fast. May we not be like the hypocrites who wear a mask and yet inside do not actually hold to those truths. So that's how you can pray for me, by the way. Okay? It's easy to put on a mask. I want you to look at Matthew 23 so you understand this idea of hypocrisy even more. We touched on it a couple of weeks ago. But I want you to see who these Pharisees really are. It just helps us to understand this passage. Because the Pharisees had perfected this so much that they would actually fast two days of the week. Uh, they would fast on a Monday and on a Thursday. And that's why later in Matthew we're going to see one of the Pharisees say, and I even fast two days a week. He's taking great pride that he's doing what he's supposed to do. But historically we understand they fasted twice. And Jesus is not pleased. Here's what Jesus says of the Pharisees in Matthew 23 verses 1 through 7. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So, listen, do and observe whatever they tell you. So he said, do whatever they tell you to do, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. 
They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces, being called rabbi by others. Y'all, these are the Pharisees. The same grace that they say they desire to display is the same grace that they are not resting in. They wear a mask. They're hypocrites. Jesus is correcting that. I'm going to touch on this again later. I think it's okay for me to know when you're fasting and you to know when I'm fasting. I don't think that's the point. The point is that we don't do it for the praise of others. And I'm going to, I'm going to really highlight that so that we, I think we have a better understanding of what I'm saying there. Try to be very cautious in this sermon. And so I'm keeping my eyes on my notes a whole lot more. Because this is a hard, this is a hard one for me. It's not a typical thing we talk about. So I'm trying to be very cautious with his word. Jesus' warning is to his disciples is not to fast like the hypocrites. That's what you and I need today. Okay? Then we're going to fill up the meaning of that word fast. He says, goes on, he says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Simply means that they are doing this so that men will praise them. Not so that they find satisfaction in God or recognition, but so that men will praise them. And he says they're going to get that. Men are going to look at them and they're going to give them praises, but that is only in this world alone. And so he's, that's what he means by that. What they sought, they're going to receive. There are going to be people who are fooled by this, who see the mask and go, oh, look how holy and righteous they are. They fast twice a day. I mean, look at him. He's miserable, but he does it for the glory of God. That's amazing. And they're going to hear these things and they're going to be puffed up and they're going to, be, they're going to get their reward that they desire. But their father who sees in secret knows the tenor of their heart. Motive is always the matter that we see over and over again through these passages. So for us, may we so check our hearts for that very near danger. Because if we're not careful, then we find that the motive for all of our doing, whatever it is, giving to the needy, praying, serving, singing, eldering, deaconing, serving in children, it's also that we can be recognized and earn the praise of men if we're not careful. It's really just another heart check for us. Okay, now, let's walk through the rest of this passage. He's going to tell us how we do fast. He says, but when, okay, you hear it again, when you fast, not if, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, don't even give people a reason to question if you're fasting or not. You should look like the typical Ricky on an everyday basis. Like you should anoint your head. Put on the cologne, put on the finest clothes, trim the beard, whatever it is, but not so that you don't want it to be so that whenever you're walking around, people are like, oh, you look kind of sick right now. What's going on? Are you fasting? Okay, that's not what we should be striving for because we're not fasting for the recognition. We're fasting so that God who sees it, look at that. Okay, why do we, why do we anoint our head and wash our face? Listen to this. It says, so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Now, there's a deep comfort here that I don't want you to miss, whether it's for fasting or sacrifice or prayer, whatever it is. I want you to rest in the comfort of this, that your God sees and hears and knows what you do in secret. He knows the sacrifices you make. He knows... Um, that what your fasting is for, what your service is for, like he knows that. 
We feel this heavy burden of, Lord, I feel like I'm doing this and this and this and this. And do you even care? And what we forget is in Scripture, he says so clearly that your toil is not in vain. He knows the work we do. He sees the sacrifice. Others will not. And they are not to do it. They're not to see it. But we have one audience. And He sees all that we do. And He will see your God-desiring fasting and your God-desiring service. And He alone will know the sacrifice despite your silence. And He will be honored that you sought for Him and to be your sole audience. He knows what you're doing. That's where we rest. Okay? Okay, so what's the passage really about? Two things. Okay? Number one, that we should be fasting. We should fast. I'm going to break that down later. And I want to ask you if you have fasted before. I don't care. I mean that nicely. I don't care if you fasted before. I think it becomes more relevant as how is your fasting now? Right, Jesus didn't, he would, he, whenever he would encounter others, he would deal with them in the present moment. Right, does that make sense? So how is your fasting now? I don't believe that the intent of this passage is to be is that we're purely secretive in our fasting. Because who knows how many more Christians may have fasted if someone would have simply talked about it and simply said, I have fasted. Or if you ever have fasted, then you also know it's so intense, then what a comfort and relief to know that there is a close brother or sister who's praying for you while you are fasting for a purpose. We're talking about different purposes for which we fast. So the point is not total secrecy. The point is to check the heart in the matter. Like, why in the world are we doing this? That's the point. But I would find great relief in knowing that I can share this burden with my wife. Especially if she's going to be cooking my favorite meal that day and she doesn't know that I'm fasting and then she prepares this whole feast. And I walk in like, hey, by the way, spray the cologne, brush my hair. I can't do that right now. Okay? So it's okay to talk about. That's not the point. I think that that's something we need to wrestle with. How encouraged and how much more might we be actively fasting if we as brothers and sisters in Christ just let it be part of our conversation. Let it be the normal thing that we talk about. The passage is something very scriptural. That fasting is something that should be in our lives. The other point, the other thrust of this is, again, I've been saying it over and over because I want to just clarify the motive is the matter. That's the point here. Our outward actions are rooted in the heart so that we must move and consider beyond the action and get to the intent. Like, why are we doing what we're doing? You and I cannot check boxes to the satisfaction of God. We see Christ. We acknowledge him as Lord and we live our lives for him. No checklist, no boxes, know him and make him known. That's the tenor of the Christian life. And whenever we get to that that's incredibly freak. I don't think that we're going to get to heaven and God say, how many times did you read the Bible? All the way through in one year. How many times? Okay. How many verses do you have memorized? I don't, think he's going to, I don't think it's going to come down to that. How many times did you fast, Ricky? I said when you fast, and you, you did that like, what, twice in college? I thought you were holier than that. My son died for you. I thought you were holier than that. Like, that's not what it comes down to. 
It's not like Christ is here and therefore we check the boxes. It's Christ is here highly or high and holy and, and highly exalted. And therefore we know that we have been made clean and right and acceptable to God. So all that we do is not to earn his favor, not to prove ourselves because of his favor. It's to walk in obedience because he's glorious. That's the end result of this all, is that I have found through reading this, studying this, and, and I hope through moving through this, that we will find that we can and will fast because he is worthy. Like That's kind of the point of it all. It's what I, my heart was moved to. What the Pharisees, what made the Pharisees hypocrites in their fasting was not the public knowledge of their fasting, but the intent behind it, which was so that they could be seen by men. Look at Matthew 6, 1 very quickly. And then we're going to start talking about what is fasting. Matthew 6, 1. Because this is actually the overarching verse for the, for the three passages on giving to the needy and prayer and fasting. Okay, This is the overarching verse. It's the thesis sentence of the essay. If we were in like an English class, he says... Beware, Jesus, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. He did not say do not do it. He said beware. Be careful. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Here's what we need as we walk from this place today. Whatever it is we're going to go do. That our intent is ever before God and we cannot hide the secrecy of our hearts before an all-knowing, all-seeing God. He knows us. He sees us. He hears us. He knows our hearts. And the grace of God is that He has given us His Word that convicts our hearts and clarifies. He didn't just leave us on our own. He said, if you are mine, then this is what your life will begin to look like more and more as the days go on. Okay, so, so if we were to end the sermon right now, like a tornado pops up out of nowhere, you know, or a hailstorm starts, or a fire nato, or whatever, like whatever is about to happen, you got to get this at least conclusion to this whole passage, and it says, so when we fast, let's seek to honor the Lord in it, not to make a show of it, but to be genuine. That's what Jesus wants, is the genuine pursuit of who he is. Okay. Now I want to push into fasting. Now what is fasting? This is where we get to the 101 part. And I hope this is clarifying, edifying, equipping. First off, let's address, can fasting be applied to other aspects other than food? And I got a text from a, from a church member this week that says, hey, in the passage I know it's about food, but can it be applied to other aspects of life? Absolutely it can. Can you fast from technology? Yes. Can you fast from... From caffeine? Absolutely. Can you fast from cheeseburgers? Why would you? But you can fast. It can be applied to like a specific aspect of your life. Absolutely. The principle can. But if we look at this passage, this passage is about abstaining from food. If we look throughout the Bible, the common normative language is that it's a food fast. And so we want to keep that in front of us also. Do we need to fast from technology or caffeine? Absolutely, as the Lord leads you. I think there's a lot of health in that. But I also think that there is spiritual rest and health in learning to fast from food as well. Otherwise, why would God call us to do it? So that's going to be our... So we're going to focus on the food aspect. Can the principle be applied to other areas? Absolutely. Okay, so what is fasting? I went 
to uh, the home and treasury of key Bible words because they know this stuff better than I do. And I just want you to hear like a clear understanding of the word. So the Hebrew noun, psalm, translates as fast or fasting. Okay, so bear with me. This is all a quote. This is not what Ricky figured out. But the Hebrew noun, psalm, translates as fast or fasting. The related verb is soon. There's another phrase that I'm not going to do, but you can have my notes if you want to, and you can have fun with it. But there is a phrase that also means to oppress or to afflict the soul. So in other words, this is me. This is not the quote. I'm going to get back to the quote. That that aspect of fasting is meant to afflict or to oppress the soul. It has a deeper level than just the hunger we feel. Like that's what the original word meant in, its, in, in Hebrew. Okay, so back to the quote. It illustrates the fact that, listen, this fasting was more of a spiritual exercise in the Bible than an attempt to punish the flesh in any way. I think that that's where we get it wrong. We tend to think of fasting as some sort of like punishment or heavy affliction rather than a discipline that's for our spiritual needs. Like we kind of have this disconnect. It feels physical, but it actually has a spiritual purpose. That's the disconnect I think that I tend to miss. Okay? Let me keep going. It says, fasting also emphasized, listen to this, that the spiritual life of God's people was more important than their physical existence. That sounds good, right? That the spiritual lives of God's people is more important than their physical existence. Donald Whitney, in his book, clarifies, Christian fasting is a believer's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. And he goes on, he says, other types of fasting, despite the benefits they may produce for the mind and body, could not be classified as Christian fasting. So he calls back, but in his book too, he says, yes, you can apply it in much the same way that I just said. You can apply the principle in many different ways. But he does also say that if we go to the root word, that it is a voluntary, that's a key, that's a key aspect, a voluntary abstinence from food for what? Spiritual purposes. The end result is not better health. Better, better psychology, like better whatever. It is all about the spiritual purpose, and that's what we see throughout Scripture. God called His people to do this for a spiritual purpose. I'm going to give you like ten reasons that this could actually apply for a spiritual purpose in our lives. Okay, so just keep working with me here. That's what fasting in the original Hebrew meant. It was really to oppress or to afflict the soul for a spiritual purpose. God's people did this for a reason. Okay, what kinds of fasting do we see in the Bible? And I've got a list of about eight different types. So if you want to like see what kind of fast, um, and I can, I can try and get you some references. I'm going to give you some references, and I'm moving fairly quickly here. But what kind of fasting do we see in the Bible? We see what's called the normal fast, or what's identified as the normal fast. This is abstaining from all food, but not from water. That's a misconception. A normal fast is abstaining from food, but not from water. Your body needs water more crucially than it needs food. Okay? And so we even see this in Matthew 4 2, whenever Jesus fasted 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness before his great temptation. After fasting, it says in Matthew 4 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It didn't say he was thirsty, he just says he was hungry. So he likely, we weren't there, no historian was there, no documentary on this, but the language that we have clearly there is that. He did drink, but we're also going to see there's another type of fast. But 
uh, that this one applies to. But after 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. A normal biblical fast allowed them to have water, just not food. Okay? Then there's something called a partial fast, which is a limitation of the diet. We see this with Daniel. They ate vegetables and drank water, but they would not eat anything else. So they limited, they had a partial fast to only eat certain things. And that's what we can do as well. We also see what's called the absolute fast, which is no food, no water. And I'm just going to tell you, you know, that's dangerous. Okay? He calls us to be committed and devoted to him, not just dangerous. You've got to make sure whenever you're fasting that the core of it all is going to be what did the Lord lead you to in his prayer. So absolute fast is the avoidance of all food and liquid. We see it in Ezra, for example, in chapter 10, verse 6. Ezra, with, I'm sorry, he withdrew, neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faith, faithlessness of the exiles. His mourning had led him to an absolute fast. There's also the supernatural fast that we see in Scripture. This is the one whenever we step back and we know it's supernatural because we go, whoa. And so we see this with Moses, we see it with Elijah, and we see it with our Lord Jesus. They fasted for a supernatural length of time, 40 days. That required God's supernatural intervention to sustain them. But you'll also notice Moses, Elijah, the Lord. It's a rare thing, and they are absolutely designated as God's key people for their purposes that he's called them to. Okay, So it's called a supernatural fast. You may be called to a supernatural fast. I don't think so. But I just want you to understand, whenever we say fast, we're not saying you got to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a unique thing. Okay, so we go on. There's also just a private fast. This is likely what you and I would be engaged in, um, is that it's, it's a private matter. I'm fasting. It's not known to anybody. Like, it's just a private matter. There are also, in Scripture, we're going to see congregational and national fast. The king will call for everyone to fast and repent and cover themselves in ashes and sackcloth. So it's a congregation like we, for example, I would say, Cross Life, we need to fast starting today and through, through Tuesday. I'm not saying that, okay? But if we were, that would be a congregational fast. A national fast would be, of course, if the president were to say, we as a nation need to fast, or the king would say, we need to fast as a nation. Congregational, national to me, it's the same kind, and that a group of people as a whole are called to fast together. It was typically for repentance of sin. Okay. Next one is a regular fast. So, we're going to cover this in, in Leviticus um, here in a moment. So, if you want to cheat sheet, we're going to be turned to Leviticus chapter 16. Okay. But they're also just what's called a, the regular fast. This, this really is important for our next point of that it's expected like why do i keep saying that over and over but the jews were called to fast on the day of atonement in the law in the beginning of the bible as he's giving them the law on the day of atonement they were to fast and so this was a regular pattern for their life fasting was part of their cultural identity and their religion so it was regular and then throughout the old testament we're going to see that other fasts were added but they are on the Day of Atonement, God from the beginning says, on the Day of Atonement, you will fast. And then there's just what we would call the occasional fast. It's not regular. It's just as someone is led to do it. So there's about eight different fasts. The fast that you and I would likely consider in your notes would be the normal, which means that we abstain from food but keep drinking water. The private 
and the occasional. Those are going to be the three that we tend to operate in. I'm just a little cynical, but I think it's also realistic. I do not see a whole nation, the whole nation of the United States being called to a fast, right? So the national's out, and we can kind of go through. I don't think you and I are going to be called to 40 days of a supernatural fast. You may. I don't think we're going to be called probably to an absolute fast. Though very likely, listen to me, like whenever we get to those final 10 points, he may actually call you to something because something's such a stronghold in your life that he may call for an absolute fast. Okay. So those are what, that's what fasting is. Why should we fast? I'm going to give you two passages. First one is in Leviticus 16. On the Day of Atonement, in the law, the Jews were supposed to fast. Here's what it says in verses 29 through 31. God's word says, And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves. That's the language. If we go all the way back to what the Hebrew word was, that afflict yourselves, that's the language of fasting. You shall afflict yourselves. You shall fast and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves fast for a spiritual purpose. It is a statute forever. For them to afflict themselves was their call to fast. They did it on the Day of Atonement. It was their active part of their act of worship. Hear me on this. We today, by extension, have absolutely been atoned for. Like Christ has already atoned for us. We don't fast in expectation or by to earn atonement, we fast in recognition of Jesus' atoning sacrifice on our behalf. It's a call to worship in a different way. This is the one, though, that got me. Go to Matthew chapter 9. This is where the New Testament really shapes why I believe we should fast today. Not today, like not this day, but you know, today in our modern Christianity. This is why I believe we should fast. As a side note, this is why I like expository preaching because you get to deal with things like this that you otherwise would just kind of skip over, right? Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. Then the disciples of John, this would be John the Baptist. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So in this particular passage, John the Baptist's disciples, his followers, that was a common word back then, by the way. Disciple was someone who followed someone else's teaching and pattern of life. So John the Baptist was not trying to like lead a cult or someone opposite of Jesus. He just had those that he had been training up, and he was pointing them all to Jesus. And his disciples come and they say, okay, John the Baptist, who points us to you, he calls us to fast. The Pharisees study your law and they fast. And yet you, Jesus, who are the anointed one, y'all don't fast. Like, why is that? That's a valid question. And Jesus' reply tells us a whole lot. He says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. In other words, he says... They have no reason to fast right now because the bridegroom, I am with them. 
They don't need to fast. Like right now, I, Jesus, I am here. The Messiah, the King has come. Like I'm right here. Why would they fast whenever we can celebrate with joy the presence of the kingdom of God right here in this moment? They don't need to fast. But the day is coming when I will be taken away. And whenever I am taken away, then they will mourn and then they will fast. That's what's going on there. And then he starts talking about new wineskins and old wineskins. You know why they should fast according to Jesus? Is because their bridegroom, their Savior, would no longer be in their presence. Hear me on this. Like, they would fast because they longed for Him. That's when the bridegroom's taken away. They would no longer have Him and they would long for Him. My kids haven't been with us. We got a, we're, they're their grandparents. I long to see them today. Right? Don't get me wrong, parents. There is something that peaceful silence. But it's weird, too, after a while. I long to see them. There are times whenever Chas and I might be apart, like even on a work day, and I just, I, I love to get that text message from her. I know she doesn't love to get them always from me because they're GIFs, and it's, which is my love language, but and she tells me, I don't always have time to see what you've sent me, but, but I long for that connection with my wife. Y'all, our Savior is, I know he's with us, I know, but, but we can't see him face to face yet. We long for heaven because we know we, that we will be with God. The bridegroom has been taken from us. He's not sitting right here with us. Like we should long for that. And in our spiritual longing, fasting can come in as a physical reality to remind us of what it means to long for something greater. Does that make sense? They will mourn. They will fast. They would fast to feel physically what they in their mourning felt inwardly. So what I wrote is simply, fasting today calls us back to this. It reminds us of a deeper longing that is much more than the physical longing or than the physical needs of our bodies. It reminds us that we have a reason to long for something more than this temporary moment. Y'all, the bridegroom is coming back for his bride. Church, we will see him in all of his glory and fullness. He will be radiant. He is a, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God is what Hebrews says. But... We don't see that right now. We see a broken world, and I long for that consummation whenever we will be in his presence forever and ever. And he will hold us and he will wipe every tear. Like until that moment, though, the bridegroom is not fully with us in the physical. The Holy Spirit abides with us. He abides in us, but we still long for the final consummation. Jesus said the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Y'all, the bridegroom has been taken He's taken from the disciples. He's been taken from this world. We long for him. Here's another thing that fasting does. I've got two more for you. It humbles us. Fasting humbles us. And probably what we're scared of in fasting is that we know how weak we are. And maybe that's what we need. We need to be reminded that we are not self-sustaining, that we are not God, that we have needs. And that only God in our weakness can meet that need while we are fasting. But fasting will humble us. We will feel weaker and we will desire the moment when we can eat again. We will feel hunger pains. But there is a purpose in this. When the pains come, when we are hungry, we pray. When we feel the pain, we remind ourselves that we've been called to do this. That our bridegroom is not with us. We miss him. We long for him. 
When we feel that, we pray, well, of course I feel hungry. I haven't eaten. Well, why haven't I eaten? Because I'm fasting. Why am I fasting? Because I long to know him more. Like There's a purpose in our fasting, and, and it turns us to that humility. As we remember in fasting that we really, truly are weak, then we turn to God in our prayers. Lord, strengthen me. A prayer that we probably wouldn't pray if we weren't fasting. I think it also directs us. This might be what you want to write down. And then we're going to start landing the plane. Fasting, it directs us. So why do we fast? It's expected of us. It humbles us. And y'all, here's what I'd say. It directs us. Donald Whitney highlights 10 purposes. And I was like, man, those are just really good. So maybe we need to fast for one of these reasons. Not all of them at one time, but one to strengthen prayer. We know our prayer life is weak. What greater way, what other way could we strengthen our prayer life than to fast? Because every time that we would be eating, we actually have designated time to pray. Or as we feel the hunger pains, then we turn it to prayer. Number two, to seek God's guidance. Whenever we are full and satisfied, you know what scripture always shows us that people turn away from God. He even says it of the Israelites. I'm in Joshua right now in my own personal studies. And right before that is at the end of Deuteronomy. And God is telling Moses that, yes, I'm giving them their land. But there is going to come a day whenever they are full of all the milk and the honey that I provided for them. They're going to be fully satisfied. And then they are going to turn away from me. Whenever we are full, then we don't turn to God. So another reason that we might fast is to seek God's guidance. Maybe there are decisions in life that require prayer and fasting. We can do it to express grief. You know, grief and sadness, depression, those are not unbiblical. The end results can be unbiblical. The causes can be unbiblical. But the genuine expression of grief or, or sadness and, and even depression, if rightly understood and motivated to express grief, fasting is a proper response. Or to seek deliverance. Maybe deliverance from a bad situation, from a temptation that's going to feed into our next one. But maybe deliverance. Maybe your, your body and your soul need something so strictly like aggressive that, that you're willing to put everything back so that you're solely dependent upon God for this very moment, this very overcoming, this very victory. Maybe that's what fasting will lead you towards. Or, again, I'm, this is the book. And I would give you this one except... Um, my secretary at Union knows that every time I got a copy of the book, I had about two or three copies. I kept giving it away, so she bought me my own. And whenever she did, I said, you better write in it or I will probably give it away. So she wrote a note. So I cannot give you this copy anymore. Okay? She made sure, but this is that book. And also, we can fast to express repentance and return to God. Maybe in fasting, it's a way of understanding the seriousness of our sins before a holy God. I'm going to move a little bit quicker. To humble oneself before God. We've seen that all throughout. Whenever we fast, we are humbled. Another one, to express concern for the work of God. Maybe we've gotten kind of apathetic to what all God is doing around us and through us or in his kingdom that is all pervasive and, and around us. And how do we, maybe we need to fast so that we can say, God, I need to like just be clear of everything else so that I can focus again on your work. Maybe it's to minister to the needs of others. Maybe in fasting, intentionally, it frees up our resources so that others can feast while we fast. Another one, 
to overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God. Maybe there is a temptation or a sin or a call on your life and everything else is going on and you just, again, got to clear the field and say, I'm removing all these things so that I'm solely dependent upon you and in being solely dependent on you, I want to hear your voice. And then the last one that Donald Whitney brings out is to express love and worship of God. Oh God, I long for you and I love you. And you've simply called me to do this. I don't get it. I don't know how. But because I love you, because I want to worship you, I will fast today so that I can only lean on you for today. Okay, so how can we fast? Like the practical aspect of fasting 101 so that we, we do it the right way. You know, we very likely have not done well with fasting because, number one, nobody told us about it. No one really talked about what fasting is and put a biblical perspective on it. I, I hope that today we've grasped that. And if I could commend a book that's just easy, are there other great books? Absolutely. I'm just speaking of the one I've read. Then I would recommend this Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. But I hope that we've, we've done that. And we're just keeping, keeping it very real right now. This is kind of an intimidating thing to think through. I think that the other reason we haven't fasted was not only because we didn't know, because we were ignorant, but again, we didn't, that seems extreme. And it is. You know what else is extreme, though? Praying to a God who holds all of creation together and knowing that he hears your voice. Dedicating your life to serving others. And not only your own needs. That's pretty extreme. Gathering on a Sunday morning whenever you could have slept in or gone to indulge in any other thing. That's pretty extreme. Going to other nations so that they can know the glory of God. That's pretty extreme. Praying is pretty extreme. These are all pretty extreme. Giving of your tithes and finances. That's pretty extreme. Stepping into one another's messes so that they can be strengthened to the glory of God. That's pretty extreme. Fasting is pretty extreme. We're all kind of weird here, okay? We are aliens in this world. We are sojourners. This is not our home. We don't live as the rest of the world. We don't think like the rest of the world. We're different, and that's good. He called us out. When we give to the needy, yes. When we pray, yes. When we fast, yes. All right, so how is Ricky wrestling with this? Hopefully helps you pray. What would God have you do with this information today? I'm not your king. I don't get to tell you what to do with it. Your king will speak to the one he loves. He will talk to his children. We just have to know what his word says. So I'm going to be praying. Number two, I'm going to make a plan, right? You make a plan, you work the plan. You don't plan, you will fail. So we make a plan and I would say even make a plan with a spouse or a friend. Again, it's not bad that others know you're fasting. It's bad if your motive is wrong. So it's okay. But make a plan. I would say especially with your spouse if you're married. Again, it just clarifies. They know not to cook your favorite meal or to plan to take you out on the day that you're fasting. So it's okay. It's also someone who will pray for you. I would also say start small. Do not plan the absolute supernatural fast of 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. Start small. Maybe don't even try and make it a whole day, but fast from a meal. Fast for half a day. But make it a small thing, something that you can do with the right motive. 
And then I would say this, the final application after prayer, making a plan and starting small, then I would just simply say, remember your God and pursue him. Right? Whether you fast once a year, seven times a year, three, and that's not what matters. That's not it. It's pursue your God passionately. That's what we've been called to. Okay. So in conclusion, I want to put our opening verse back before you. Romans 12, 1 through 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, this be your mindset always that our lives are not our own. We have been called to live as living sacrifices. I was listening actually to a Tony Evans teach this week on the Holy Spirit. And he just had one. It's just good. Like, it's just very practical. Like I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Why did anybody ever tell me that way? And there were several moments like that. And I just wanted to hear a different voice teach on this. And at one point, he wasn't even talking about fasting. He's just talking about the Holy Spirit. And he said, and in talking about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit filling us, he said, you know, it's kind of like this. And he, t- he said, you know, before like a Thanksgiving meal, like I don't want to eat all the junk food. I want to be like, I just want to be filled with the good food. So like I sometimes, I'm not going to lie, that's, that's kind of how we like, we don't want to eat the donuts on Sunday morning because we know we're about to have a really good meal right after. And the whole idea is making sure that like we are ready to receive all the goodness. Like that's, that was his point. All the goodness of the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about, Sin being moved out so that the Holy Spirit can fill more, okay? And as I'm knowing what we're about to preach, as I'm hearing that, my thought was, what if that's what we get in fasting, is that we're clearing out the mud and the clutter through fasting, like we get rid of the junk so that we're empty, so that we can be filled more with the Holy Spirit, even so. When we fast, we're intentionally ridding ourselves of something so that God himself can have greater control of our perspective, our lives, in our heart. But the final thing that I got out of all of this, what I told you before, and then we're going to pray. I personally landed on this as I studied this passage and this topic that I so desperately needed. And it's simply this. He is worthy of my fasting. As scary as it is, as weird as it is, as I study scripture, I'm moving back to the point of he's either worthy of it or he's not. Whatever it is he calls me to. And he's not going to all call us the same way hope that that was all clear enough and understand that I'm not speaking from like an expert position. I really just simply mean it as it's what we've called been called to do. And I like you because I am like you. I'm one of you. I'm a member of cross life Fort Smith. I'm saved by his grace. I want to be changed and renewed. But when I fail at this or whenever I fail, you have to just simply remember that it's not because we have done perfectly. It's because the perfect one holds us. We're going to do a song, He Will Hold Me Fast. And it's just that reminder that He holds us. Despite all of our failings, despite all of our weaknesses, the fragility of who we are, He knows our frame is but does. He holds us. We don't hope in fasting. We hope that He holds us fast. He holds us strong and close for all of eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, I spoke many words. And... Lord, I hope that they give clarity. 
Lord, my greatest hope is that I know that you work through your work. And so I always wanted to just rest in that. So, Lord, any time that I spoke that was out of turn or, or on my own or caused confusion, Lord, let that be washed away. So that simply your word can be known and you can be glorified. We rest in you alone and your great grace by the mercies of God. We are yours. Amen.